Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Weddings-ish with Jove. This episode, we talk all about our wedding planning tip, which is wedding timing, uh, how to time your ceremony, your guest arrival, and so on. We do not have a Real Housewives Roundup because there's nothing to round up. And we sit down with the super talented Sarah Raihannon of Saipua. Weddings-ish! For our wedding planning tip this episode, I wanted to share a little bit more about the timing of your actual wedding. So most venues, whether it's a venue you're renting for the day or a full-service space where they provide staff, bar, food, rentals, you're going to have a five-hour bar. Some bars will potentially let you go for six hours, but the average wedding is five hours. So we want to talk about sort of what that timing means and working backwards, when you should start your photos, when you should invite your guests. Here in New York City, and I think any major city where public transportation or taxis or traffic can cause delay in guest arrival time, we always suggest not necessarily lying to your guests, but maybe giving them uh, a hopeful invitation time and really actually starting 30 minutes after. So if you have a six o'clock listed time, you would actually plan to start at 6.30. So what you're doing is really allowing guests to sort of arrive a little bit late, taking into consideration traffic or wardrobe snafus or any other thing that may cause your friends and family to be late to your wedding. Uh, and starting 30 minutes later than you say you're going to start so that everyone is really there to celebrate with you on your special day and you're not getting married while people are walking in late. We do always encourage if you're going to do this and start 30 minutes late, then you always offer a welcome drink. It doesn't have to be alcoholic. You don't have to do Prosecco, wine, or a cocktail. Uh, You can always offer maybe like a lemonade or a seasonal beverage, you know, hot mulled cider if it's a colder month wedding or something like a lemonade if it's a hotter month wedding, but just something to allow people to arrive, to settle in, to feel refreshed so that they can then focus on your ceremony. If you are doing a first look and you're going to see one another before you get married and do all of your photos, we estimate about two hours is the time that you need to complete all of your photos. And I know what you might be thinking, like two hours is a long time, but it's going to go by really quickly and you also want to allow for enough time for you to refresh yourself, take a little break, and really feel good and energized in each photo and not rushing. The last thing you want to be doing on your wedding day, all this planning, all these professional vendors, and you feel rushed and tired and stressed out. So we always suggest more time than less time. So even if that means adding additional time for a photo or video, do it. It's worth it. It's a couple extra hundred dollars, but in the long run, it'll save you so much stress and anxiety, and you'll get more photos. So what's the breakdown of the two hours? Two hours, basically, if we work backwards, um, just before the ceremony, the listed ceremony time, you would do all your family photos. So they're there anyways. They're going to be ready for the ceremony. If you're going to sign the marriage license or a religious document, you can do it for that 30-minute buffer that we have before the original ceremony time and the actual ceremony time. So 30 minutes before that, you would do all of your family photos, all the iterations that you want, um, both sides of the family, all the individual group, all the portraits can be done. Prior to the wedding uh, family photos, then we suggest doing the wedding party photos. So whether you have a small wedding party, medium, large, however many people are on both sides or not on both sides, we also give that about 30 minutes. And then moving from that, we love to give our couples 30 minutes together alone so that they can sort of wander around and take photos sort of more organically and naturally and not robotically where everyone is in one room lining up, shooting back to back to back to back. We want you to explore with your photographer, your videographer, walk around the venue or walk around your favorite park. Um, And then before that, we suggest about 15 to 20 minutes for the first look. And essentially, the first look does not take that long, but they have to set you up. They have to find the right place with the right light. They have to put one of you there, bring the other one of you out, and really sort of um, prepare the moment to be as special as it is. So all in all, it's about two hours when you sort of add in 
all the different combinations and all the different groups. And if you're going to be traveling, meaning if you're not getting ready or doing photos in the same place as your venue, then you need to build in timing for that as well. And we always suggest checking Google Maps. Check Google Maps so that you can see it at the highest peak of traffic and then add five or 10 minutes more. So that way you're planning the maximum travel time. And again, you're not losing photo time or being stressed out when you are indeed sitting in traffic on a weekend trying to get to where you need to go. And also just a side note, we always recommend leaving extra seats in your vehicle for the photo and video team so they can travel alongside with you. They can document those moments if you're calling a cab or the intimate moment of the two of you in the back seat or whatever special things happen when you travel, they're there uh, taking photos along the way. Of course, if you want some private time, then definitely by all means go alone, but make sure that you do encourage them to go with your wedding party or if you have group transportation, you provide it for the vendors that will need it. In terms of timing, that's sort of the front end. And then, as I said, you list your ceremony time um, and then you actually start 30 minutes later. I always recommend thinking about sunset when you're thinking about timing. A lot of people don't necessarily think about that. They just think, when does the party, when do I want my party to end? Subtract at five hours, that's when we start. And while that's logical, you also want to take into account Mother Nature. You don't necessarily want to have sunset in the dark. Uh, what I always recommend is that you have sort of the sun setting towards the end of your cocktail hour so that you have really beautiful light for the ceremony and then guests get to see the transition from um, early evening until sunset and then we ask them to sit for dinner because there's nothing worse than competing with Mother Nature uh, when asking guests to sit for their dinner. So if the sun is setting and I'm trying to ask everyone or invite everyone inside or away from the windows to take their seats, I will tell you it doesn't work. No one ever wants to go sit for dinner when there's a beautiful sunset right in front of them. So timing around Mother Nature is really big and really important. And then from there, you have your listed ceremony time, your actual ceremony time, and you add five hours. And that'll get you to your end time in the evening. And if you wanted to extend by half an hour or an hour, I think most cases that's reasonable. But just know that while the, it may seem short to only have a five-hour party or five-and-a-half-hour party, it's more than enough to accomplish everything that your guests are wanting from a wedding. Also, it leaves them wanting more. Sometimes if a party drags on and on and you end not on the highest note, but sort of on a sluggish note, the memory isn't the same. You really want people leaving wanting more, wishing it was longer, having that sort of high energy and like awesome memory of the end of the night as opposed to like, God, how many more songs? My feet hurt. I can't dance anymore and I can't drink anymore. Um, but you know your friends, you know your family, you know your guests. Do whatever makes sense. Do whatever feels right to you. And just make sure you think about timing from start to finish, from wardrobe to, you know, photos to the pre-ceremony, ceremony, cocktail hour, dinner, and dancing, and the end of the night. And always, always remember sunset timing. Happy planning! Weddings-ish! I'm super excited to be sitting across from, I don't know, the fashionable, creative, and fabulous Sarah Rye Hannon, hmm. founder and principal of Saipua. Hi. How are you doing on this beautiful day? I'm great. Thank you. This is so fun for me. Exciting. I'm so happy you're here. When I think of you, three things come to mind. Probably more, but my initial three are sheep, <laughs> flowers, and soap. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about one or the three or all of those to start? Um, yes. Um, so we started with soap. My mom is the soap maker. She still makes all the soap. Okay. Um, and my partner Eric and I helped her rebrand it in 2005, way before I thought about sheep and flowers. Oh, um, so soap was what started it off. Soap was the beginning. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, she's very crafty, very entrepreneurial. And um, so we rebranded her soap as Saipua to help her sell a little bit more and make it a, a bit fancier than the craft fair sort of vibe that she was going for at the time. Sure. And uh, that was like the very beginning of the Brooklyn Makers kind of wave 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And so when we opened our little shop to sell the soap here in Red Hook and I added flowers because I was just in love with flowers and okay. wanted to be a florist, um, 
we kind of, I feel like, hit the jackpot with timing in okay. the sense that we were, like, at the beginning of that sort of movement, and so we, we were able to get a lot of attention early on. Does that That makes total make sense. sense. Yeah. And where does the name come from, Saipua? So Saipua is the Finnish word for soap. Uh, oh. My dad is from Finland. Okay. And um, some of you may know that Finns have a very rich bathing culture, uh, that goes along with the sauna bath. Oh. And so when I was a kid, we took a lot of saunas with my Finnish family, and a lot of the soap that was in the sauna was this very sort of herbally, wood smoke smelling uh-huh. sauna saipua. Okay, we called it, and so that was sort of the initial idea of um, the soap brand. And we still make a lot of soap that is uh, reminiscent of that sa- sauna soap that we used that you that you knew growing up yeah that's kind of really amazing we use a lot of um for example birch Mm -hmm. essential oils and cedar wood and a lot of those like sort of woodier smells yeah no the soap is incredible oh thank you we were in your new location here in red hook shopping the other weekend and wanted to buy them all (laughs) and i see it all over the place so it's not just sold here but it's in other um, retail throughout Brooklyn. Yeah, we wholesale it um, all over the country and the world, actually. My my mom still makes every single bar. My dad wow. makes it all. And uh, we wrap it. And it's about 150,000 bars a year now. Wow. Um, Full-fledged then, business. Yeah, it is. We put everybody to work. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. And is that where the farm comes in? Is that where the soap is made? A lot of people think that, but my parents actually live in the suburbs, and she, oh. <laughs> in the house I grew up in, okay. in Peekskill, New York, Okay, and all of the soap she makes there at her house. Beautiful. Our farm is about two hours north of that, okay. quite far. Um, you call it the end of the world. World's end. World's end. There it is. Yep. And the farm, we, we wrap soap there sometimes when we're in our busy season, but mm-hmm. the farm is really all about growing flowers and sheep farming. Okay. Now and the sheep were just um, a sort of love affair of mine that I sort of incorporated into the business. Okay, as a, a with a lot of things in my life, <laughs> you fall in love with it, it and you yeah. add it in. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was really. Um, I was on your Instagram recently, and you had so many beautiful sheep pictures. Mm-hmm. And more than that, you were explaining sort of their life and how they come into this world. Yeah. I, w- I was like almost crying just yeah. reading about these baby sheep. It was such a thing of fascination that I didn't know sort of where it came from. But for you, it's just a, a love of animals or a love of sheep or you just... Well, the real story is that I was driving with my mom around Vermont in 2007 and mm-hmm. stopped at this little cheese farm, the sheep's milk cheese farm, to pick up some things to bring home mm-hmm. and walked out to the back pastures and witnessed a working dog bring in about 150 heads of sheep. Wow. And it was the sea of sheep that was rushing towards me. And I'm, again, I'm from the suburbs. I really have no experience. <laughs> with animals, point, yeah. With animals or on farms. And I said to the teenage daughter of the farmer, like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, oh, you're fine. Just stand still. And so I had this experience of this sort of wave of a wall of sheep just moving around me. Huh. And I was like, I want that. Okay. And I never forgot it. And then when we had the farm, I like, sort of made moves to work first with a as an apprentice on a sheep farm in my mm-hmm. free time and then start to incorporate sheep into our own farm practices. That's amazing. Yeah. So we'll come back to sheep because I'm sure people really want to hear about flowers. I could <laughs> yeah, talk about sheep all day. Um, so you started with soap, opened up at the other original location in Red Hook? We've had three. Okay. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what do you mean you sort of started flowers? It's one thing to love flowers it, and then sort of you... For many people, started a full style. I mean, I've met with florists who say to a bride or a groom, oh, you want the Saipua style. Mm. Which, I still can't even imagine that that happens. That's real. It seems weird to me. It was weird for me because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. But for you, what was that process? So you were selling um, candles, went to so, the flower market? Yeah, so I started going to the flower market and digging around and asking a lot of questions and it mm-hmm. was really humbling um because i had no idea the names of anything really i mean sure. at that point in my life i could probably identify a rose and a tulip and maybe an iris but no language yeah, to the talk about any of the other things sure yeah. so i just started asking questions and sort of um buying little things here and there and tinkering around with them and then we bought a Snapple beverage cooler and peeled the label off the side. And okay. Put that in the shop. And okay. Spent about 
$200 a week on wholesale flowers and just was making a little arrangements and hoping to sell flowers to people who came in the shop. Sure, who were going to buy soap. Yeah, and I think we lost so much money that first year because there's, you know, it's really hard to do retail, Mm -hmm. period, and especially in Red Hook in 2006, it was super quiet. No one's really down here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I got my first wedding. Okay. And I started to realize, oh, this is how you can profit from flowers, really. In a large-scale event. In events, yeah. Yeah. Because the problem with retail is that you have to buy so much product in order to make it look full and beautiful in the shop. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, you'll get, like, a few people coming in wanting $30 bouquets, $15 bouquets, $50 maybe. And it's not enough to sustain everything you have to buy. Yes. That makes sense. Whereas with an event or a wedding, you can plan and budget for your flowers and know what your costs are ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can't really do that with retail. Not at all. So you got an inquiry for a wedding. Was it a friend or a total stranger? It was, um, you know, baked the coffee shop across yeah. the street where Eric and I spent a lot of time in those first few years. Um, Renato, who's lovely and uh-huh. the owner, yeah. he was like, you know, I'm getting people all the time in here for wedding cakes. Like I could start telling them that you do, that you do, do flowers. flowers. So Renato sent us our first client and it was a little wedding, um, at EC in Fort Greene. Mm-hmm. And the the total flower budget was, I think, $750. Oh, wow. And I think I spent $850 <laughs> on, on flowers. flowers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was the beginning. It was okay. purple. It was a purple wedding. It was really pretty. Do you have photos of that wedding? I, do. I on, would it's love. It's on the blog, actually. The I would love way back, to yeah. put them on our blog yeah. so that people can look from totally. this recording. So that was your first f- sort of door into working with flowers. Yeah. And you did it at that price point. And then what happens next? Was that. Did you have a particular style then, or you sort of just did what you thought was pretty? And Well, in the beginning, I was really obsessed with texture. Okay. Um, I think that, again, like, in 2005, when I started paying attention to flowers, New York City and, like, the world was kind of just coming out of that really tight aesthetic that mm-hmm. was the ball. popular <laughs> in, you know, the 90s yeah. and early 2000s, and I was falling in love with all this texture of foliage mm-hmm. at the market and wanted to see more like the weird wild stuff in mixed in with those fancy flowers. Sure. So that's what I was buying. That's what I was arranging things. You know, I was using the, those, those items. And I think also, again, a lot of this t- in my eyes is timing. Sure. I started taking photos and and putting them on a blog. And at that time, there weren't a lot of flower blogs. People weren't doing that. Yeah. And so I think, again, like, I, part of the recognition of that style was the fact that I was, like, putting it out there. Sure. And one of the first people to put it out there. Because realistically, like, the, you know, if I were to describe Saipu as, like, you know, and these are words that now everybody tosses around. But sure. we are really but at that just, time like, seasonal and garden-inspired, kind of like a looser, wild-looking aesthetic, you know, Ariella Shazar sort of invented that. And mm-hmm. before her, it was like the Matter Lakes who kind of invented it. And before okay. them, it was like Constant Spry. So it's, it's really, it wasn't really anything new. Sure. It was just sort of like a little bit, you know, my own little take on it. Sure. And you put it on the internet. And which, I put it on the internet. Which yeah. changes everything. Sort of, yeah. Okay. Um, and so you started doing weddings via baked referrals. You did the small wedding. I did so many weddings at Frankie's 457 okay. in the beginning. Okay. So really like tiny local weddings. My, yep, totally. Yeah, because these are all sort of Brooklyn-based, yep. and Frankie's is for 100 people. Yep. It's a small space. I love it there still. It's amazing. Yeah. The pasta is so good. Yeah. I tried to go the other night. There was a two-hour wait. It's always crowded. I'm, I'm not waiting I want two that hours. business model. <laughs> two-hour wait? Well, maybe you're going to go into food, but we'll mm. talk about that later. <laughs> um, so you started to do a lot of weddings, and then what sort of catapulted you? Because today, I feel like you're in a different league than a lot of other florists. And maybe you don't feel that way about yourself, but people maybe see you that way. Mm. Do you think there was a particular wedding or event or moment where the business went from? I really don't. I mean, I think, I feel like every, every stage has been so kind of like slow and organic. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of built. It's been like a kind of crescendo. Yeah. Um, I guess a crescendo is maybe a bit dramatic, but it's been, it's been like, (laughs) Step after step. It never, sure. N- there was never one piece of press or one giant wedding where we were like, oh my God, now. We're you know? official. Yeah, it, or... it, it, it's, it's always been like two steps forward, one step back. Two mm-hmm. steps forward, one step back. You know? sure. And even today, like 
we should talk about that actually it's like i'm so curious like what the perception of psych is in the world because maybe it's very different from what it is internally here sure um i mean we still do we do weddings from like two thousand dollars to like a hundred thousand dollars still you know and 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 not to you know be down on our on us but like we still struggle to like book weddings you know yeah. it's not like the phone is ringing off the hook all the time sure it, it feels very real and, and it's interesting because i love talking to other florists and i i mean it, i i feel that very lucky to be very active in the florist community and mm-hmm. the um and i hear from a lot of young budding florists oh god I said that. <laughs> that was so funny sorry um <laughs> you know they want to know like what the secret is and sure it's like Unfortunately, I, I'm not sure that there is one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I, I think that, um, you know, you grow and then you struggle. And you grow and then you struggle. Yeah. And it's it's a progression. I think and that's the most natural way for anything, right? Because you're a human being and you're figuring it out. Yeah. And I don't think business skills are innate in most of us. And no. I think especially a creative type, business usually isn't also a strength. Um, but for me, it's interesting. You, I think there is a perception in the event world that you do high-end flowers only. Like if you don't have 25, 30 grand to start, don't call Saipua. But that's not the case you're saying. No, I mean, um, we book a lot of five to tens. Okay. Um, if they, if they make sense for us, you know, I think obviously like, and having done this long enough, that's one thing that I feel lucky to have under my belt is I sort of can like look at a budget really, really quickly and be Mm -hmm. like, what's realistic. Sure. What they can get for what they have. And, and the bottom line, no matter what is that we always buy really expensive. Our flowers are just very expensive, you know, and part of what people like about the pictures that are on our website is they're seeing that. Yeah. And like, you know, we use the fancy ranunculus and we use the Japanese product in winter time and we grow our own flowers, which is expensive in the summertime. But, you know, I can take a $5,000 budget and make a pretty killer wedding at Frankie's and I can take a $10,000 budget and make a really killer wedding at like the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. Mm -hmm. Um, But it may not be like soup to nuts, everything. Sure. Installation and table and ceremony, all of the things. Right. But I can look, I I love to look at a budget and be like, let's get the best, you know, And, and also like telling a client, like if you want X, Y, and Z, like maybe you're better off going to, you know, one of one of our competitors who has lower price points. Sure. But if you want to spend your $10,000 here, we can get you like exquisite centerpieces. Sure. An insanely beautiful bouquet. Yeah. And like a gorgeous hoopah, but that's probably all. That's you know, sort of like, where, yeah. yeah. Like, because you know, the bottom line again is just like our, our flowers do cost a certain amount of money, but <laughs> there was a point years ago where in, in the trajectory of our growth, it made sense for us to only do $25,000 and and we did that for a while, and it was successful for a while. Sure. But then when we moved into this new space and started kind of revisioning, like, what is the real, like, what is the mission of Saipua, it was, it became clear to me that, like, I missed being in touch with, like, the smaller budget brides. Mm-hmm. In, in, in fact, like, if I got married, my whole budget would probably be, like, maybe $10,000 for everything. All in for a wedding in. in New York City. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you can imagine that, like, yeah. as you start to do bigger and bigger events, you start to, like, maybe not always um, share the same values with certain clients sure. at different levels. And there's You're no not judgment a, in that, no. actually. I, I really want to be clear. There's no judgment there. I, I, I love and appreciate people who spend a lot of money on weddings. Cause of I course. Because that's, like, where beautiful art comes from is yeah. people, like investing in like over the top luxury they have the resources so they can do it it's where the best art has come from and over the centuries Mm -hmm. um but i was missing the frankie's bride i was missing like me in my clients you know i guess but yeah so we um and also with the farm where we grow so much product when you do 25 and up you do less weddings and i was like i want to do and you have all the product every weekend because we have so many beautiful flowers yeah out in the world so we we took our we turned our model upside down and we made divisions up here in the office so now we have different divisions that handle different types of events oh that's smart so really anybody who wants flowers really of any range can get them even if it's like um you know we just do your city hall bouquet which is personally Mm -hmm. my favorite wedding yeah to do it's something sentimental it's so sentimental it's sweet it's simple and you know 
as a designer, I love doing just the bouquet. Like it's, yeah. It's so um, concise, you know, yeah. design-wise. And it, it goes with the dress. Like, it's definitely an accessory. It's not just on a table. Yeah. And I think that that's right, because we did a wedding, I think we first met at the Bowery Hotel. Yeah. And that couple, I think in many ways, and I don't want to speak for you, was a dream couple. They sort of said... Which one? Which couple was that? Um, they said, this was our wedding, this is our budget, and you do the rest. They sort of didn't have colors or flowers in mind. They sort of let you do what you wanted. And at that time, you were saying that that's sort of the realm you're working in with a client of a lower budget. I think their budget was seven or 8000 yeah. all in. It wasn't, you know, yeah. what people had expected. And it was beautiful. Oh. It was breathtaking. Mm-hmm. And I wonder for you as a creative, when, if there are any couples listening, what your preference is. Is it go with some inspiration, leave it fully up to you, mm-hmm. come with like overly designed something? Like what's sort of the magical spot for you to do what you do with mm-hmm. a client? Oh, well, I get really excited when clients get really excited mm-hmm. about learning about flowers and understanding their preferences where maybe they didn't know them before. Sure. So you can imagine that for a lot of brides, like they've never really thought about flowers too much. Not this much. And yeah. I get really excited to like sit with them and watch them understand their own taste mm-hmm. in terms of color and texture. Mm-hmm. Like it's really so exciting to watch a bride like start to look at pictures and be like, I love this, not so into this, love this. And mm-hmm. then I'll turn to her and be like, maybe what you really like is, you know, really pointy petal flowers. And she's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you're right. Cause she's pointing to all the dahlias, you know? Sure. And I, I love like, um, bearing witness to that sort of, uh, discovery in, in nature Yeah. and, and like the pleasure that you can have in like cozying up to it and like yeah. getting to know your own sort of creative desire yeah. that way. Um, and so that said, I think it's nice when it is a little bit collaborative or when a bride, when I can like really start to like read and vibe with a bride and, mm-hmm. and feel like I'm customizing something like really special for her. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes it comes out really good when I get no input because then I'm free to like just shop the market and pick all the most beautiful things. And yeah. you just kind of never know what's what going to the be most there. Beautiful thing is going to be. Yeah. Know? And so if I have no limitations in terms of color palette, then I can kind of run wild and do something, you know, unexpected. And those incidentally oftentimes become portfolio pictures. Sure. Because um, it's a full expression of you yeah. as an artist. And you know, here's the thing. It's like so many brides want a blush color palette. Light, and I get neutral. It. Like, it's pretty. And I think a lot of times also, um, they are afraid to be trendy or like outside, think outside the box with their wedding day yeah. because you only get one shot. You sure. Know, most of us. Or <laughs> 56% <hopefully>. of people. <laughs> okay, fine. But you know, the, they, they may like look at photos and be like, I love that. I'm really drawn to it. But at the end of the day, they want like the Gwyneth Paltrow peony ball. Sure. They, they, it's their, t- it's their one day to feel like a and princess. And it's lasting. It's not a fad, like a fad, like a fad or a trend. It's something yeah. iconic or classic. Yeah. And I think that, and I get that. I really understand that mentality so I think um our challenge there is to is to be like well let's find a, like a middle ground so that mm-hmm. you get like both both you know the best of both worlds and and it's interesting because like you said the word trendy and that's something that people are always asking us for in interviews like what's the wedding trend right now you yeah know? which I hate that question because it's an awful question I think especially as a florist like do flowers really trend? I mean, I, I like to think that all flowers are beautiful and you may like some and you may not like others. Sure. Like the fact that like flowers trend and it just seems so ridiculous to me. You I know? get that. And now like the color of the year is greenery. Is so it is. Thank you for being here and telling You're me. welcome. Pantone <laughs> 2017 is greenery. Okay. Um, but it is interesting sort of when you think about what the trends are and who forecasts them and who sets them. And I don't know. It's interesting. I, I don't think I have clients that are like, I want the on-trend wedding according to the experts. I think things are really beautiful. People are inspired by them. They do them. They see them online. They recreate them. And then it's sort of trendy. Mm. And then I think as that crowd has passed, something new has arrived and that becomes trendy. Let me ask you this, because I I dabble sometimes in reading about the industry, although for a large part of me just stays away from it. But I don't know why that is. But the... um, Is it true that now sort of like the trend in weddings is like showing people's guests like a a really good time and like Mm -hmm. kind of creating this 
feeling more of warmth and like special attention to guests as opposed to where maybe five years ago it was like what does like your table decor look like I feel like it's more about the feeling of a party and like having a good time now than it than it is like the details and like the color palette and all that. Do you know what I mean? I do. I, I think I see both sides of it. My couples, I think personally want to have fun. That's the number one thing they say. I, when I sit down with couples, I ask, tell me the three words you want to use to describe your wedding. Mm, that's good. One of the three words is always fun, but in there it's definitely memorable or personal. And so I think it's a balance. I think it's not as about the couple as it is about the guests. And I think now people want their friends to come, drink, eat, and party. Mm-hmm. But they also want it to represent them, which I think is where tabletop decor, flowers, and overall design fits in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trend is definitely changing, I think, from hyper-formal, which maybe feels like you can't have a really raging time, to something a little bit more casual, mm-hmm. which I think seems effortless. But I think you and I both know that what seems effortless is actually a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. You know what's Um, interesting is um, I've learned this really recently. When I have to design like a single bud vase and mm -hmm. do it just right, it's so much effort as opposed to making an arrangement that maybe has 50 stems in it. Uh Like that single stem and like getting it just right in a little bud vase is so complicated. The pressure on that. Yeah, it's like exactly (laughs) that. What you're saying is like making it look like no big deal. It's actually... It's a huge deal. It's definitely, people have no idea. Um, I want to talk a little bit about flowers because I think a lot of people don't understand the cost of a florist and they say sort of like, why are florists so expensive in New York City or anywhere? I recently did flowers for a small event. So I had a firsthand experience. You did did the flowers yourself? Yeah, for a baby shower. It was so much fun. Oh, maybe this is your calling. Maybe. I wouldn't go that far. I do love it. But um, needless to say, I was in the market and I was purchasing the items and I was shocked by the cost and I have a business. So I said, I want to create a wholesale account, you know, the tax, whatever, making sure I'm getting the right prices. And he's like, yeah, that's the price. I mean, I probably asked him like 30 times. Oh my God, but here's the thing. <laughs> 10 years ago when I was first starting, I had the same exact experience where I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to buy them wholesale. Yeah. And he was like, sweetie, that, that is the wholesale price. Yeah. It was like a bunch of sweet peas with $75. Yeah. yeah that is- and what we pay. I was blown away and it really gave me a new perspective. And I feel like I always defend all my vendors and their costs and what it takes to run a business. But what is the cost of flowers? Like in terms of for you, you grow your own and you buy your own. People are just astounded to hear what it really costs. But in the market, it's not cheap. No. Like your product um, is expensive. It's interesting because I just had a, um, a conversation with Taylor, my friend Taylor from Fox Waterfront mm-hmm. about this exact thing this morning, which is that when we have the luxury of going to 28th Street and buying wholesale there, and mm-hmm. let's say Dutch Flower Line, which is one of the biggest vendors that I use regularly, yeah. I'm really buying from a middleman. Like Dutch Flower Line is buying from their suppliers. Yeah. So I'm paying premium for the for the luxury of seeing them in person and in deciding which one I which ones yeah. I want to buy. And what a lot of florists do now increasingly in the last decade is they buy direct from Holland. Okay. Or they buy direct from South America. So South America being like the biggest area of growth for flowers in terms of like hothouse roses. Oh, I didn't know that. And lilies and all kinds of, all kinds of flowers. Okay. Like 90, I think over 90% of flowers in the world are growing in Colombia and Ecuador. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of florists now are buying direct from there. So they're getting stems that like half of what they pay for, they pay for them. Because they cut the middleman out. Yeah. Sure. But what's that, what that's doing is it's killing the flower market on 28th Street. Yeah. And so there's a lot of talk right now about what's the future of the flower market, mm-hmm. especially as that block gets developed by more and more hotels. Sure. And high-end um, real estate or condos. Yeah. But the bottom line to answer your question is that if you're like me and you want to make art with flowers and you want to see the difference between a salmon-colored ranunculus and an orange ranunculus in person mm-hmm. so you can decide exactly the color of it, then you pay a premium. For that product. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's just the difference. And, and again, like, I, I don't have any judgment about this. Like, some people want to hire a floor. Flowers maybe aren't the most important thing to someone. And yeah. they want to get a centerpiece for $50. And there's places, I'm sure, that you can go and you can 1-800-Flowers. Yeah. Um, and like, and that's totally fine. Sure. I think it's just about educating our clients about, you know, what you're paying for and yeah. what you're paying for when you, you know, come, let's say to us 
is the difference between an orange and a salmon ranunculus mm-hmm. and the way that it looks against all the other fancy flowers. You know, I mean, it's it's just, um, it's a difference in value, I think, right? Well, I agree. And it's also the curation of flowers. I mean, you're going in and you're not looking for what's cheapest to make the highest margin. Yeah, I never ask how much things cost. No, which I think <laughs> is always, which I learned the hard way. I'm like, I want all these things. And then you're like, wait, what? Yeah. How did I spend, I budgeted this much of the budget. What did you budget? And I... Uh, I think 40%. Uh-huh. And I spent, well, anyways, I, I like figured it out, but I feel like it's a common notion that florists spend more than they should on product because they want to make art and because something is so pretty, yeah. they do it. I, I really think this is such an interesting question. And I've been talking about it with my friends lately. It's like, can you be a good business person and also have boundless creativity and make the art mm-hmm. that you want to make? I, I actually... I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Yeah. I think we struggle with it certainly here all the time. Of course. You know, I think there's a perception that Saipo is like rolling in dough and like making a ton of money. And <laughs> Wait, you're not? I gotta go. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've, we've, um, we have been successful and fortunate enough to have things like invested in a farm, um, and you know, all kinds of things like that. But mm-hmm. like, we continue to struggle to um, make ends meet. I think sometimes my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Or, you know, like sure. I, I want more than I can necessarily afford, and I'm the kind of yeah. person who just goes for it and then yeah. figures it out later. But we, we definitely still struggle with that question of, like, how do you... Um, because the reality is that if I wanted to really make money and make this business really profitable, I would stem count. I would sit down and I would go down, march downstairs with the girls, and I'd be like, if we're doing this wedding, we're only putting, you know, 15 ranunculus... 14 mm-hmm. roses, per arrangement. 12, um, you know, pieces of eucalyptus per arrangement. Yep. And I would walk around with the ruler and slap And you'd order it. Yeah. When, when they put more than that in. Yeah. But when we do weddings, it's like everybody ha- has free range to like make it their own sure. piece of art. And like, we don't count and we, we leak money that way. Yeah. And I know florists who do count and I know that it, it, pro- make, it results in profit. Sure. So but there's, then where's the delineation sort of between art and business, I guess? If you are physically counting each and every ingredient, which logistically, like an account manager would tell you, you need to be doing that and becomes pre-ordering. A becomes a recipe, which isn't your energy. It's not my energy. But again, like as I continue to grow and have to install some kind of like corporate structure here in order to like sure. support this big machine and like eight people and pay for their health insurance. Yeah. Like I need to figure out how to, Mm-hmm. up those leakages yeah and it was easier for me to do that or to run a creative business when it was me my pickup truck and my partner of course when and it's small it's you know it's it's an interesting moment for me and it's a struggle an interesting struggle but something that i've been like again just talking to so many other friends of mine who own businesses is like can you have both yeah. you know can you can you give clients like that like beauty and like that free form like mm-hmm. organic creative thing and also like profit yeah, you know? it's a hard thing to do, and you are growing. So you have yeah. other costs aside from flowers. You have staff, you have space, transportation. It's a lot. I don't envy a florist ever, which is why I dapple in it very rarely, because it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's also so fun mm-hmm. and really, really, like, spiritually satisfying to work yeah. with color every day. I, I mean, I, that sounds a little woo-woo, but it's so true. Yeah. And I, 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 right now, the community is, like, so rich with, like, amazing people. It's, yeah. just been, it's just a good, it's a good gig. It's I mean, a magical gig. I mean, totally. you're surrounded by beautiful flowers and happy people. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I saw you did an arrangement that blew my mind. It was for New York Fashion Week. <laughs> and I feel like you took baby's breath and roses, sort of an antiquated old school, like on Valentine's Day, or when you're in a fight, you get someone baby's breath and roses. Something I think is really tacky and I don't love together, but you threw it on its head and made something that was so beautiful. Mm. It was this oversized baby's breath arrangement with roses in it. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Uh, well, that was for Adam Selman, mm-hmm. who is like my muse right now. Okay. Um, and I feel like he is very supportive of like my creativity. And mm-hmm. we've worked with him now on maybe three of his runway shows. And, um, you know, fashion week's really interesting because like weird stuff happens. Yeah. Just be kind of like, am I doing this? I'm doing this. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, but Adam's bad because he, he just is like, great, more, 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 more. Like, yeah. love it, you know, so we kind of can run wild. And, um, it's funny because Emily, my friend Emily Thompson was like, they look like Marge Simpson. <laughs> they did. That, I was like, oh, uh, they true, did. You know, um, 
the only thing about those arrangements that I regret, and this is an industry problem, is we had to use a fuck ton of flower foam in ah. order to build them, which is like a big no-no around here. But I feel like Fashion Week, sort of like all the rules go out the window. Uh-huh. Um, you know, flower foam is super toxic and doesn't biodegrade. Got it. And it's one of those things that like, I wish they would, someone in the industry would come up with a more... An alternative yeah. solution. But um, but anyway, that was it was a lot of fun. Okay. It, it did, were you inspired by his collection, or where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, he, um, the, the fall collection has a lot of red roses okay. uh, embroidery yeah. work in it. It was beautiful, and I sort of felt like this was your true expression, something that wasn't, like, you were able to do what you wanted to do in that uncanny. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah. Um, speaking of waste and sort of environmental, I know you guys, maybe recycle is not the right word, but compost, compost all of your flowers. 100%. That's amazing. And food scraps. The, uh, and food scraps. <laughs> okay, perfect. And that all goes up to the farm or is donated somewhere? Or no, it how goes does... to our farm. Okay. Um, another interesting thing. So a bunch of florists um, right now in New York City, this is so exciting. And, and eventually, hopefully beyond New York City, we're trying to form like a guild or like a kind of a union oh, in order to sort of share resources like this. One okay. of the big problems in cities like New York, or I think a lot of big cities, is that there is no place to compost green waste. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of cities have food waste programs, but they don't want to take florist waste because it's messy. Uh-huh. And you think about florist waste has like a big combination of like soft biodegradables, leaves, petals, and then a lot of sticks and twigs mm-hmm. and like even bigger than sticks and twigs, yeah. which in a compost pile is, is, is pretty complicated. Yeah. Um, and so we're able to do it because we have our own farm and we have acreage where we can set up compost you piles. You have the space, we yeah. have the space. Um, and it works for us because our truck comes down to the city with flowers and then goes back up with compost. compost. It wouldn't work just to truck compost three sure. hours up north. Right? No. But because it is that nice cycle, that loop, it yeah. works. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, we have been dabbling and tried to, in the past, collect other florist compost, but then it, it's one of those things of me trying to take on too much, and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, whoa, Sarah. Yeah, like, I was the like intention is good. picking up, like, all of the Putnam's trash, and it was just, like, not the right... Not, <laughs> not right, going to work. It wasn't, like, working for us to yeah. like, extend ourselves in to that To do way. that. Although, in the future, I really do want to figure out a way to organize better yeah. composting for florists in the city, um, because otherwise, it's just... It's all shoved in, in black plastic garbage bags and ends up in a landfill, and yeah. this is stuff that... That, like very easily could should be comp- yeah because totally. it's natural yeah. it's plants and flowers and that's beautiful and so your flower farm what are you growing up there it's only in the summer so what varieties right. what do you grow uh well our season starts with bulb flowers mm-hmm. right off the bat we've got probably 40 varieties of narcissus this year planted mm-hmm. which is so exciting narcissus being like the daffodil family uh-huh. um and then muscari which are those little grape hyacinths we uh-huh. have a ton of those pink ones blue ones uh tulips after that oh beautiful and then after that comes bearded iris oh um and after that comes peonies <laughs> uh, everyone's favorite why peonies. does everyone love a peony in your opinion i think it's it's so seductive. It's okay. the most feminine, seductive, pillowy flower. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're they're fragrant. They, um, did I say soft already? They're just like they're they're like so voluptuous mm-hmm. of the flowers. They're right? tempting. Yeah. yeah, and they smell so good. Right. Whereas, like bearded iris are like the hypersexualized. Like they are. They're phallic a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the flower world, which I love personally. But um, tell me more. Yeah. The um, it's funny. Like I love knowing what what what's your favorite flower? That's a great question. I don't know that I have a favorite flower. Or one of. Um, I do love a peony. Yeah. It's really the smell, but I think jasmine. Oh, good answer. Is probably my personal favorite. And that's such a California thing. Which reminds me of home yeah. and sort of walking down the street and just getting a whiff of <laughs> jasmine in the evening. There's I'm, nothing like that. No. That and bougainvillea are my two favorites. I love boog. But can you get that here? You really can't. You have to yeah. um, you have to go to the tropics for it. Yeah. Or or much farther south. So if I were to get married, it wouldn't be here, I guess, because those are the things I love, and they're not really here. But those would be my two favorites. Mm, One for shape, one for scent, and really memory, I think, is what attaches me. 
Isn't that interesting? Like, a lot of people talk about that with flowers. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of people talk about like some kind of memory connection to a grandmother or yep. a sense of place from where they grew up. I yeah. think that's interesting that flowers have that power over us. They kind of like hit us at some like soft, vulnerable spot. Yeah, that you can't really describe or even maybe want to talk about. But I think that's true. Yeah. I do want, I'm trying to grow jasmine indoors. So that's my current thing. I want a wall of jasmine that sounds at lovely. home. So I'll let you know how that goes. Hmm. Um, so after peony come... After peonies come then our, all of our field flowers. Okay. So Janelle, our full-time farmer, which we just added to our staff last year. How exciting. So exciting. Um, her and Eric um, and me, when I'm up there helping, um, we start seeding in March, and that's all of the field flowers. So that'll be things like Cosmos, uh, Nicotiana, mm-hmm. Love in a Puff Vine. Um, we grow a lot of... Um, pretty tomatoes for using in a restaurant. Beautiful. So not just floral, but fruit and veggies, everything. Okay. Uh, We have a huge vegetable garden too and feed ourselves from it in the summertime. That's not so much part of like the business as it is the lifestyle. Yeah. um, And then dahlias obviously too, right? Which are so huge and so pretty. And I feel like dahlias are like the counterweight to peonies, right? So like all your spring weddings use use peonies and then all your fall weddings use dahlias. Um, it, that's always an interesting explanation for for brides getting married in October when they're like peonies. And <laughs> they demand like, a peony. Yeah, the seasonal like yeah. evolution of how different flowers come at different times. I feel always really lucky to to be the the person to tell them about to that. describe yeah. that. It's interesting, and I think people just don't know the seasonality. They just imagine it's New York City. You can get anything you want. And you can. I mean, you can get peonies in October, and November, coming from Australia now, but. Um, they're just not very vivacious. Sure. Because they're they, not giving you their full self. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine what you would look like in a box, 24 <laughs> hour flight, and then you come out and you have to be like, no, <laughs> you have to put on a show. That sounds terrible. I will pass on being a peony in the winter. Um, so we have some wonderful questions mm-hmm. from some people that I'd like to ask. You got quite a response, which mm-hmm. is so fun. Mm-hmm. So the first one is more about your business. What is your client onboarding process and how do you express a new idea to the client? when it wasn't their original request? So this is a two-part question. Onboarding processes first. So everybody calls or emails, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the process that we have is um, we like to get on the phone with them right away. Um, and because there's so much more that you can gain from some, talking to someone on the phone than in, than in writing email. Yeah. So Jesse and Bryony who sell weddings here at Saipua will schedule a chat with, um, bride. Um, and in that initial conversation, we talk right away about budget. I think it's important just to kind of like, you've got to have the money call. Yeah. I mean, I I think in the beginning we used to be shy about talking about money, but Mm -hmm. the reality is it's just, um, it's so much easier for everybody to like get it out in the open. I agree. And I also think to be candid about it. Totally. And I'm going to, we're going to work better for you. Like knowing what you're going for right right off the bat. So they should be honest. There's some people that come out with like, they tell you a lie. They're like, we have 5,000 when really they have 8,000. Yeah. Everybody's idea of honesty though is different too. Because I know myself and if I was ever in this scenario, I would probably tell them more than what I was really wanting to spend because I'm just like such a maximalist. Oh, interesting. (laughs) You'd go over right away. You wouldn't go under. I would probably, yeah, I guess. Okay. Um, um, So yeah, we like to to just get that because then we're going to serve them better right? sure once you know um, and then once we know like what they're what size wedding they're having then we kind of move them into those different divisions here at Saipo like I mm-hmm. said so basically we have a $25,000 and over division mm-hmm. which is briny um, and so that's really event design where sure. we're going to get very kind of in the nitty-gritty with clients and designing all the details and then there's the um, under 25 so basically like two two to twenty five thousand dollar weddings mm-hmm. so Jesse handles those. Um, and so once we kind of figure out what someone's going for, we invite them to come into the studio and look at pictures together. Okay. Um, and so we have a coffee and um, in the studio and look at all kinds of photos and then all of your own photos or your work. Yeah. We okay. Do, we, we only show our photos. Some floors show other people's work, which is I, interesting. I think that's I think that's so cool. Um, I do show other people's work if a client has a specific thing they're looking for that I haven't done. Got it. And I know somebody who has, I'll show them that. Sure. Um, and then we go to contract. Um, and one, one of the important things that I think is, is worth noting, especially for florists listening, like, um, I think it's really important to protect to some extent, like the ideas that we might have for a client. Mm -hmm. So we don't, 
um, show. We don't like put together any visual material or design anything. Like until, a mood board. Yeah, until we have a signed contract and a deposit, mm-hmm. a save the date fee. Got basically. it. So you talk all about it. Yeah, we talk all about it. We're really honest about like what we can do and like mm-hmm. where our strengths are and like you know we sell ourselves. And yeah, we've gotten better at that. I used to in the beginning be really really shy. Sure. And I think it's important to like know what your strengths and weaknesses and are sell it. and sell it. Yeah, I, I still struggle with that a little bit, which is why I'm not invited to these meetings. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you sure you want to hire us? We're not that great. <laughs> I have such a bad habit of putting my foot in my mouth with clients. It's so funny. Got it. Okay. But, um, and then, so once we have a signed contract, um, we go do site visits and mood boards, and then the design process begins. And that makes sense to me because I'm a vendor, but to a client, they're like, what do you mean? I can't see it before I pay for it. Well, the nice thing that I, and I get that, I really understand that, um, but fortunately, I feel like our we have a reputation that they kind of know what they're for doing. For sure. About, they, know? they know what they're and in, in the for. in the beginning, like, we didn't do that. In the beginning, I did give me mood boards before. Yeah. But the, what would happen oftentimes is I would, like, really slave over a mood board. It takes hours it of work. It's a, it's a process. And energy. Really, really good. And emotion, yeah. Um, and for us also, like, in a mood board goes, like, all kinds of thoughts about, like, what's actually in season that we yeah. can use, not just, like, what looks Pretty pictures. Together. Um, and then oftentimes I would put together a mood board without collecting a deposit and they would take that mood board to someone else for a cheaper, cheaper budget or which I, like, I get it, 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 but it doesn't feel good. No. And um, you've worked for free. Yeah. And that's not fun for anybody yeah. <laughs> unless it's, you know, a volunteer job. Yeah. I mean, I think overall, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, we should move on to the next question. Okay. Um, so what is the best day to go to the Manhattan flower market? Wednesday. Okay. Why is that? All of the the most shipments internationally and nationally and all the good local stuff comes in on Wednesday. Done. Mm-hmm. And how early should people go? Um, it opens at 5 or 6? It opens at 5. It's not worth going before f- 6 um, because a lot of vendors don't actually have it all out until 6 or 6.30 even. Because they're setting up yeah. prior to your arrival. Um, so I, I would say like a good time to go is 7. But you can okay. go any time from 7 to 10. Okay, great. Um, we have another question. When you're first starting your business, how did you balance the aesthetic you wanted to cultivate with the need to generate consistent money slash get jobs? Mm, that's such a tough, that's a good one. Um, I always said from the beginning that it wouldn't make sense for me to do like the big composite of white calla lilies, mm-hmm. but I would probably in the beginning bend more to my own aesthetic because I needed to pay the of, bills. I needed to like, generate momentum Mm -hmm. um so i think there were moments in the beginning where i would let's say um put flower put like my flower arrangement on like a really weird tablecloth without having like any say in it or um maybe use uh out of season flowers more than i would usually Mm -hmm. or maybe generate arrangements in a color palette that i didn't necessarily love yeah because you needed the job. Yeah. So you'd make it pretty, but you're flexible yeah. to bend. I also think it's like in the beginning, like you, you know, you're kind of working more for the client and you're working more for the client in a different way. Like you're, you're, you don't have the confidence in the beginning to tell the client like what the, what, what the they smart, should do. What they should do. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of t- you're hungry. them yeah. tell you what to do. And so that, uh, that influences the look of it. Yeah, Without and it affects knowing. everything because you're the expert. Yeah, but I, I think a good rule of thumb is try to only make work that you would feel like really proud of putting photos of it on the internet. So yeah. if you're at, being asked by a client to do something that you don't think would add to your portfolio, life is short, I would say move on. Got it. Because, you know, every job is going to suck like time and energy and like emotionally drain you. Mm-hmm. But if it's not worth like showing to other people, you just got to like move yeah, on. Yeah, if you're not proud of it. Yeah. All right. Next question, which I think we sort of touched on earlier, but uh, when you make arrangements for weddings, how precisely is their material, structure, flower placement planned in advance? Um, On average, how many versions or prototypes will you develop uh, to get your perfect sort of centerpiece? We only do one prototype usually for a Mm -hmm. client, um, and it's really not precise. Like I said, it's, it's really not a science. It's not precise. We don't, it's not who you are. Yeah. It's not what we do. Um, the only counting that I do is when I order flowers for an event, I will sometimes in my mind budget, let's say if I want to put seven peonies in an arrangement, I'll order 10 per arrangement because you're always going to have some that are no good. So I do a little bit of counting when I'm ordering, placing orders. Okay. Other than that, it's all free form. 
Okay, which is sort of what you get with Saipua. Mm-hmm. Um, best advice for beginning farmer florist. How do you start to really define your aesthetic and attract clients that get you um, and that you want in return? I think, again, it's all about the visuals. Like, mm-hmm. I can't stress this enough. People starting businesses, and you see it on Instagram overnight. These businesses it's pop true. up, and you're like, holy shit, that's fucking beautiful. Yeah. You know? And these girls have just, like, who have, like, really, really keen sense of, like, yeah. visuals. And in the beginning, when you don't have a lot of, like, portfolio work, it's a lot of it is done through color. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the thing, one of the people who I'm so impressed with is this new company, Studio Mondine. Maybe they're not... Incredible. They're in California. They're so, their work is so beautiful. And, like, since I started following, I really sense, like, the visual identity in terms of color palette with them, mm-hmm. which, not having much knowledge of them, now I feel like I know them right away. Sure. And I think that's that translates to, like, really strong... Like they had a strong sense. aesthetic, yeah. which became their brand in a way. Yeah, it's like branding through color. Yeah. Um, so I think... Um, which question was that? Where, where, where are we? Uh, that was for the beginner farmer florist. Oh, so that for people who are like starting out and trying to figure out how to like hone it in, is like the best way to do it is through visuals. So like if you're growing, if you love um, like larkspur and zinnias, then like figure out the best way to like make those beautiful pictures using those flowers and just like over and over again, like. So be authentic to who you are. Yeah. And hone it in. Yeah. Not, don't try to do too much visually. Or don't try to be someone else maybe that you're not. Yeah. Because eventually that will fade if you're putting out a product that isn't true to you right but that's time because i think girls really and i say girls but it's girls and boys like they struggle with like what's my visual identity we all go through that in life and business okay another topic and i think you i think you can evolve as an artist for (laughs) sure yeah but i think there's a lot of people out there that maybe try to replicate or copy something they think is pretty Mm -hmm. but i think on instagram and not that that defines success right instagram likes People that are creating beautiful work. I mean, it kind of does these days. It definitely doesn't hurt it. Um, But I think people are following because it's refreshing and it's different and it's Mm. new. Mm -hmm. And it's not something they're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. At least for me. Like, I follow people, florists on Instagram, not because I worked with them, but because their work inspires me. I open my phone and I'm like, really with these colors? Like, how did you think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's For interesting. For those of you listening, Jove is on his phone right now looking at Instagram. I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to get more questions for you. That's why. Um, this is sort of an interesting one. How do you set Saipua apart without being a figurehead brand ambassador type? It seems like nowadays you have to be a face for your brand, and I respect the way you've seemed to have not sold yourself along with your talents. Mm. Like a you being a personality as opposed to mm-hmm. a That's, florist. I've thought about that some over the years, like whether I need to like put myself in front of the camera more. Um, it doesn't feel natural to me in Saipua when I've thought about doing it because I like so much. So much of I think what I'm proud of about Saipua is that it's not just me. It's like a real collection of people that make mm-hmm. this business and have over the years made this business, whether they're like you know, on full-time staff or not. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more of like Saipua than it is like, it's not Sarah Rehan and Flowers. Got it. And I, I just don't feel, and I'm a performer, like I, I'm a Leo, like I really like to perform, but it doesn't feel natural for me to do... To be on stage or yeah, be in the center. To be, the, to be that to be that forward um, as the face. And I, and I think also like my business is my life. Like they're like like we said earlier, like sheep, like all of it, it's all in there. You know, I don't really have anything. I don't have a lot outside of what I do at work. Sure. I don't feel like putting myself in front of the camera and like being that brand ambassador would feel, it would be too much almost. Like where would Sarah Raihannon be in that? Yeah, you'd be lost. I might be lost. I think you'd be missing your sheep. I would be. Um, We have another question that's a little bit more sentimental. Um, How do you find true love? Hmm. How do you find true love? Um, Are you in love? I am in love. Oh. Um, I don't... I think... I think to some extent you have to be really ready to find true love. Okay. And that's such a cop-out answer. But it's true. But I do think it's true. I think... Um, I think you you get what you're ready for and you don't always... You don't... I think sometimes we, we are impatient. Um wanting something that maybe we're not ready for. 
And oh man, this I'm listening to my cop out answer and I'm hating <laughs> Yeah, because you're cheesy. Yeah. It's totally well, fine. Yeah, no, I think I, I do think that though. I mean I, I think um friends of mine like say who like want love but can't find it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why can't I like meet anybody? Sure. I think they're standing in their own way to some extent. I think that's true. You know? Um whether it is like not really being open to like the kind of person that they might want to find or need to find or need to find or having like really high standards and maybe not thinking about what those standards actually reflect about themselves yeah. you know I, I don't know interesting mm. love is so complicated isn't it period and, and interesting and i feel so lucky to um to have like it in my life in so many complicated ways mm. you know whether it's like through i feel the same feeling about that when i'm in love with somebody mm-hmm whether that's like romantic or an employee which is certainly true with my employees like I feel like I'm in love with all of them or when, as when I'm like really feeling a flower thing uh-huh. in the moment of like creating it's like and it's loving like that very, creation very like visceral thing it's, it's so it's so good yeah which is why we all want it yeah and which is why partially I'm in the industry that I'm in is it's sort of working with people in love mm. Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. Oh, Some of the time. That's another podcast. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast, a little bit more salacious. Um, well, I think that those are, we have a lot of questions, but yeah. I feel like ending on love feels right for me. Yeah. Um, if people want to find you online, how do they do that? Uh, well, they can come and check out our website, www.saipua.com. How do you spell Saipua for it's, those who are dyslexic like myself? It's S as in Sam, A as in Apple, <laughs> I as in Ingenuity, okay. <laughs> um, P as in Peter, U as in Umbrella, A as in Apple, okay. dot com. Dot com. Yep. And Instagram is Saipua. Yep. And you have a store here in Red Hook. We do. Where you sell flowers, soap. Plants. Plants. Yep. Candles. And other tidbits. Currently kimonos. Yes. And, um... We are open Wednesday through Sunday, noon to 7. Okay. Um, and people, I really invite them to come and look at the store, but also to come in the back and see what's going on in the ceramic studio, mm-hmm. or check out the welding bench, or talk, have a coffee, or hang out. Um, and, oh, the other thing that I'm working on right now, the last thing I'll say, was self-promotion. Please. Is um, the Instagram account, for example, a lot of people don't know... A lot of strangers come to it, I think, and don't realize that we do weddings and events. Mm-hmm. And so we're splitting off and doing a new weddings, um, type of weddings. Oh, it'll be separate. Account. Yeah, because I think I think that people come there and they see sheep and they see what we <laughs> ate for lunch or they see like sure. single ranunculus and it and it it's not always. I don't always want to put all of our wedding photos there because it doesn't feel authentic to like the other stuff that we do. Or mm-hmm. It doesn't feel authentic always to like me and my life day to day. Because that's really what that handle is. It's do you, you manage that yeah, handle? It's 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 mine. Yeah. So we're gonna, and it's not to say that I don't like weddings. It's just that you know some of the wedding stuff. Um, it, it's not what I what I want to think about morning, noon, and night. Sure. In a, in a certain way. Yeah. In order for, to, for me to keep my brain like fresh and creative to then go to do mm-hmm. that work. So we're going to yeah. split it off into Saipua Weddings. I think that makes so sense. you can look for that soon too. Okay. Saipua yeah. Weddings or Saipua. You should yeah. just follow both of them. Yeah. Because maybe. sheep are cute. Flowers are pretty. Oh my God. We're going to start lambing <laughs> April 1st. What does that mean? It means when the lambs Because you have start, sheep and lamb. It's when the sheep start having babies. Wait. A sheep lamb is have, a baby sheep? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, man, we're, te- we're learning. <laughs> oh, we are totally learning. Yeah, I thought so they were different animals. No, this no. is so embarrassing for no, me. it's okay. It's okay. I didn't know that they were... The- <laughs> so, oh. um, we have a ram, uh-huh. and the ram gets put in with the sheep, the yeah. adult sheep, the ewes, the female yeah. sheep are called ewes, in November, and works on... Doing that. Doing that. And then we start lambing. Usually our first lambs come around April 1st. Oh. Uh, And so it usually takes a whole month to lamb them all out Mm -hmm. for all all of the ewes to To be born. Yeah. Yeah. And then May is really fun because it's sheep, because all the hard work's over and all the late nights and, like, scary stuff is over. Yeah. And it's just, like, baby lambs running around. Oh, my gosh. Please. I would love to come. Yeah. I think that sounds magical. It's pretty magical. And then, but you also go full cycle because you eat them at some point. Yeah. So, um, lambs are born in April and, um, this year we'll probably have like 20, between like 20 and 25 mm-hmm. and of approximately half of those will be boys. And 
the boys we can't breed back to their sisters or their mothers. Got it. And so they become sort of this unnecessary thing in terms of a breeding program sure. on the farm. So we slaughter the boys in October. Got it. And then unless there's one that's really, really cute. Good. <laughs> well, cute, yes, but like has good conformation, good body type, and Got it. Um, friendly enough with the right kind of horns, who we could then sell as a breeding ram to another farm. Oh, I see. So it's about keeping the genetics. Got it. Moving around. So you take a look at it and make a decision right. that way, holistically. So the, the boys, um, we slaughter them the second week of October, and uh, we had lamb here for lunch at Saipo today. So we eat it. Oh my gosh. Around. We have a, a, a freezer full of lamb. I think I, I, I really need a new job. Lamb. lamb is my favorite meat. Me too. When I was in Chile in Patagonia every day, that's where I discovered lamb, and I was like, yeah. I need this more in my life. A lot of people are afraid of it. They think it tastes gamey, but it really doesn't. No, it's soft and delicious. Did you eat lunch? No. Oh, maybe I'll give you a taste downstairs. Okay, perfect. Well, this has been so much fun. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much. Weddings-ish! Thank you so much for tuning in, subscribing, listening, and downloading Weddings-ish with Jove. It means the world to me to have you uh, listening and supporting this podcast. If you have any questions about wedding planning or any topics you'd like us to cover or anything uh, you'd like to hear about, please send us an email, podcast at jovemeyerevents.com or tweet us at jovemeyer. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at jovemeyer and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We would really, really appreciate it if you would take a moment and leave us a great five-star review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Weddings-ish! The music in this podcast was made by the fabulous Mel Flannery of Mixtape, a cover band for hipsters. Thanks, Mel. Love the jingle. Weddings-ish. Weddings-ish.